Welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. Um, I'm your host, Albert Hardy. I came across something that you might find interesting. Who was Justin Martyr? Justin Martyr was an early Christian apologist, and according to Wikipedia, he is regarded as the foremost interpreter of the theory of the logos in the 20 or in the second century. Wow. Well, what is something significant that he said? Okay, well, here's something. This was a statement on the intermediate state. Uh, whatever that is. Is that limbo? Is that um, purgatory? Here's what he said. For if you have fallen in with some who are called Christians, but do not admit the truth of the resurrection and the venture to bla- or, and venture to blaspheme the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who say there is no resurrection of the dead, and that their souls, when they die, are taken to heaven. Do not imagine that they are Christians, just as one, if he would rightly consider it, would not admit to the Sadducees or similar sects of the um, Genestae, Maristae, Galileans, Hellenists, Pharisees, Baptists, or Jews. These people are not Jews, but are only called Jews, worshiping God with their lips as God declared. But their heart was far from him. But I and others who are right-minded Christians on all points are assured that there will be a resurrection from the dead in a thousand years in Jerusalem, which will then be built, adorned, and enlarged as the prophets Ezekiel and Isaiah and others declare. Wow. You'll find this in the Dialogue with Trypho, chapter 80. Well, so what? So this old guy who lived about 150 years after the death of Jesus says that uh, those that say that their souls are taken immediately to heaven when they die are not even Christians. Don't consider them to be Christians. They're a cult. Now it's flip-flopped. Every Christian on the planet today is an offshoot of the Roman Catholic Church. The Protestants came out of her in protest. That's why they're called Protestants. But they kept some of the dogma that they liked. One of those is this idea that you have an immortal soul that goes on living after you die. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is a, an early Greek philosophy that made its way into the Roman Catholic Church and on to us Protestants through the Roman Catholic Church. So what does that have to do with prophecy? Well, it's a doctrine of devils that is 
prophesied to come before the return of Christ. Many will be led astray. Let's see if we can find a scripture on that. How about 24 of Matthew, chapter 24 and verse 4. Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Do you mean to tell me that people can actually come in the name of Jesus and claim he is the Messiah and still mislead people? Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. So, how can we avoid being deceived? That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. We must ask for it and get it from God. And he will put his thoughts in you and me. As we do that, we must ask for his help and his guidance. If we're too proud to do that, we're not Christians. We're just pretending to be. Remember what he said in 23 of uh, Matthew? In verse 28, he says, Outwardly, you look righteous. You look like righteous people. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate them the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started, you snakes, you sons of vipers. How will you escape the judgment of hell? Unquote. The truth is that people, when they die, are not awake. They're dead. They're asleep, and they are not awake. Oh, well, you believe in soul sleep. No, I believe I am a soul, and souls die, according to Ezekiel chapter 18, verses, I think it's 4 and 24, something like that. You can look it up, of course, but um, no, we're not awake until God raises us from the dead. There is a resurrection coming for sinners and non-sinners alike. We will all be raised from the dead. To what? To judgment. No one escapes the judgment. When you resurrect... You awaken, and you'll be in that judgment. Unless you are a um, a church goer, or well, no, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say unless you are a true believer in Jesus. Who was it that said that judgment is now upon the house of God? Well, it was someone who rubbed elbows with Jesus himself and was very close to Jesus. His name 
is Peter. It's found in 1 Peter 4 and verse 17. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, chapter 4. Well, let's start in verse 14. So be happy, and I'm reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it is not, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come, this is verse 17, for the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. Trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. Unquote. That's the end of verse 19 and chapter 4. But God is fully able to save. It's not like he lets people get in by the skin of their teeth or anything like that. At least not in my opinion. But Peter rubbed elbows with Jesus. He knew him way better than any of us can because we can't see Jesus at this time. But listen to what he says. He's giving advice to elders and young men, young pastors, if you will. Chapter 5, And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I, too, am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. You see, he's coming. This is a future event that he knows about, and he's trying to tell us. Jesus is coming and will be revealed to everyone on earth. Every eye shall see him, and everyone will know who the one and only true God is. All the other gods will die away and be gone forever. Yay, no more religion where people are seeking God in their own ways. I'll make this prayer wheel and I'll spin it 40 times a day, blah, blah, blah. And that's supposed to do something? No, that's an idol. That's worshiping an idol, using a device to worship God with. That's no good. To go on, as a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you can get out of it, but because you are eager to serve the one and only true God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd, 
that would be Jesus, appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud but favors the humble. See Proverbs 3 and verse 34 in the Greek version. Verse 6, chapter 5, 1 Peter. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will, that's future tense, lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share his eternal glory, to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. That is absolutely the purpose of life, right there. It's so that God can set you in his kingdom. That's what everybody is pressing into. Let's just take a little side note. We'll pick this up again in just a second, but I want to go to Luke 16, 16. It's easy to remember. See what it says in the NLT, because the King James language there is a little bit obscure. Let's just listen. Here it is. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now... The good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is eager to get in. Exactly. That is the purpose of life, to get into the kingdom of God. Well, a kingdom is a king ruling over territory under a... a king ruling over territory with men and women and children living on it, people living on territory under a set of laws given by the king and enjoying his goods and services that flow from him and their work, which he watches over and makes sure everything goes fine for them. That's what a kingdom really is. It's about rulership, and what's rulership about but service? It's taking care of people and making sure that they have what they need, that no one's starving to death, no one's out in the cold, that everybody has what they need. Okay, back to 1 Peter 5, verse 10. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus, or Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered for a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you and place you on that firm foundation, the foundation of the kingdom of God. All power to him forever. 
Amen. And then his final greetings. I have written and sent this short letter to you to help, or with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing to you is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly a part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with Christian love. Peace be with you all who are in Christ. And that's the end of First Peter, and then he goes into Second Peter. So, the kingdom of God is our purpose. I saw a guy on YouTube, very popular guy for some reason, <laughs> which is beyond me, uh, say that the purpose of the universe is to achieve eternal uh, consciousness with one another or something silly like that. It's just nuts. It's New Age crap, if you ask me. Pardon my French. But to me, it's worthless. That is not the purpose of life at all. Now, what is, then, the purpose? Why did God make the universe? Hmm. If it's all about a kingdom, and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, wherein righteousness dwells, then the purpose is to expand the kingdom of God. And not just on every corner of the globe. Now, this is only one of billions and trillions of globes that God has made and built out there and sustains. Every one of them has a name, and God knows what's going on with each and every habitable or unhabitable planet, star, galaxy, or any part of the universe. If righteousness is to dwell in heaven, in the heavens, you know, we are already in heaven. This is a piece of heaven. Would you not agree with that? Is not the earth part of the universe? All of the heavens out there are part of the universe, just the same as our dear planet Earth. The Earth was meant to be inhabited, but people will say, but the rest of the universe was not meant to be inhabited. It was just to, to, to give God a, a place to play or something. They've got no clue whatsoever what the universe is out there for, why God made it. Well, where's the scripture that shows what he made it for? Well, let's try Isaiah 45, 18 for a second. Well, let's start in 15. Truly, O God of Israel, our Savior, you work in mysterious ways. All craftsmen who make idols will be humiliated. They will be altogether disgraced. But the Lord will save the people of Israel with eternal salvation. Through everlasting ages, they will never be humiliated again or disgraced. For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and earth. He put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, 
not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. Period. Now, here's something interesting. Notice the wording. For the Lord is God. He created the heavens, that's all those planets and stars we talked about, and earth. Okay, we're, we're labeling them heavens and earth. And put everything in place, that is the heavens and the earth. And he made the world. Why didn't he say the heavens? Why didn't he say the earth? Because the world is the universe. It's the whole enchilada. He made the whole thing to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to read that in uh, the King James Version. For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He has established it, and he created it, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is none other. There is none else. In uh, 51.16, one of my favorite scriptures, he says this, And I have put my words in your mouth, and I have covered you in the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens. You can plant the heavens? What do you plant them with? Uh, people. And lay the foundations of the earth. And say to Zion, you are my people. Now, to me, this is very significant. When you plant the heavens, you plant them with living things, do you not? Yeah, that would make sense. That's what God did to the earth. Why wouldn't he do it to all his other planets? And if the kingdom of God is where we're all pressing, where we're all headed where we're all eager to get in, then that kingdom is also going to expand wherever righteousness grows and is, which means there'll be a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Now, where is that? Well, let's see. Let's go to Revelation 21 and just take a look here. Verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, or gone. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now that sounds like what he said about the church which is the bride of Christ. Verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Look, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. I want to switch to the NLT here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. 
All these things are gone forever. Wow! Yay! Come soon. Verse 5, chapter 21, Revelation. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I love that. It's so beautiful. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immortal, <laughs> immoral, not immortal, the immoral, and those who practice witchcraft. Know anybody doing that today? I do. Idol worshippers and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, which is the second death. It's not life. It's not eternal life in the flames. It's death, permanent style. Verse 9, chapter 21, Revelation. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. See, when Jesus returns, that's the beginning of the kingdom which will be built in Jerusalem. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city was broad and high, with twelve gates guarded by twelve angels, and the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on the east, the north, the south, and the west. The wall of the city was on, or had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 140, or no, 1,400 miles. Wow, that's one big city. Then he measured the walls around them and found them to be 216 feet thick. Wow. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was of pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones and laid, inlaid with twelve precious stones. The first was a jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, 
each gate from a single pearl. Those are big pearls. And the main street was pure gold, clear as glass. Gold, clear as glass? That's going to be a sight to see. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or moon, for the glory of, the, of God illuminates the city. The Lamb is its light. We've got no idea of the power that God wields. No idea. But if he can build universe, a universe full of uh, planets and stars, he can do anything, including build life and build it on every habitable planet. Well, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. I love talking about things that nobody else seems to be talking about in the Word of God. There's nothing like it. It's exciting and thrilling to know that God has a purpose for me and for you and for every man, woman, and child who was ever born. That's great. I can't wait to meet him in person. Well, you can go to my website, itellwhy.com. You can read my books there and do lots of things, watch the videos, etc. It's to build faith. So I recommend you do go there, itellwhy.com or jesusiswhy.com. There's nothing for sale there. Don't try to buy anything. Don't try to donate. I don't want your money. I want you to grow in faith. That's the only purpose I've got in doing this. So until next time, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio.